Benjamin, you're nine to five max uh, European correspondent. <laughs> I wondered where you were going with that one. Yeah. So, what is this story with the Spotify and the the, the EU? What, what are they saying? Something's unfair now. What's going on? <laughs> well, they've been saying it's unfair for a long time. In fact, I think it was in the middle of last year that Spotify publicly complained that the European Commission case was taking too long to resolve, such that the damage was already done. So, even if they are found. Um, positively for Spotify and negatively for Apple, at which point it's way too late because it's taken them five years to come to a decision. So even Spotify is getting fed up with how long, you know, how, how, how many people's feet are dragging on this. Because this started way back in like 2019, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mid-2019 when they first launched that time to play fair.com website and they were complaining that, uh, you know, the, app, the Apple Music was unfairly favoured on the iPhone for various factors. Obviously, the App Store is a big one because third-party streaming services have to pay commission in a purchase commission um, those apps cannot tell people about other places to buy a subscription outside i.e through the website spotify has tried multiple times to get something like that in where they just let you log into your account directly or click to sign up through the web and every single time it gets rejected they you know make a pr stink about it most recently we had it with audiobooks if you remember that story wasn't too long ago um yeah yeah but they filed, so they filed formal charges in the beginning of 2019. The EU said they were taking them on as a legitimate case, i.e. they think the complaint has merit, uh, in about 2021. And now it's 2023, and the EU hasn't um, finished their ruling, but they've got slightly closer. And what, they, what this stage is, is basically refining the case to things they actually think they could take to court and win on. Um, and so the original complaint had two parts to it. It had a bit about um, the mandatory enforcement of in-app purchase on Apple platforms and the associated commission. And it had um, anti-steering complaints, which is referring to um, the placement of Apple Music as a default app. And more significantly, the fact that Apple won't let companies tell um, developers that there are other places they could buy the subscriptions outside of the App Store, i.e. they don't let you go into the Spotify app and Spotify can say, you can download this on the web. Now, since this complaint has been filed and, you know, evolved, there has been some leniency or, or changing of app policy, app store policy, because now you can have that, you know, single link, all that nonsense. And in some markets, they allow you to have external purchase as a requirement, um, like in the Netherlands with dating apps and stuff. But in the whole, the Spotify complaint... Uh, still holds up even though it's five years later um what the eu is basically saying uh as they get closer to you know charging apple with saying you've you've officially done something wrong you need to change your policy or be fined or whatever else in terms of um retribution uh, they are dropping the in-app purchase part of the complaint so basically they're saying apple is perfectly within their right to um a- a- allow a on apple platforms for you to you have to use the in-app purchase system and for you to have to give Apple a little, uh, commission through the in-app purchase system. Uh, what they're going to continue to pursue in terms of um, anti-competitiveness is the you're not allowed to say, oh, you can go to the website and buy Spotify through the web, for instance, and avoid the App Store subscription. And then maybe there might some um, be some provisions in there about the default app situation because obviously the Apple Music case is complicated by the fact that the music app was pre-installed. Spotify, you have to go through to the App Store to download. You can't download it through the web because there's no, there's no sideloading opportunities. And if you do buy it through the App Store, as it is today, the Spotify subscription, if you buy it through 
the app store, which I don't think they even let you do anymore, but if you did, you'd it'd be thirty percent more expensive compared to the Apple Music price, and they don't even let you tell they don't even let you tell users of the iPhone that you could buy Spotify on the web for cheaper. So that sounds like the direction that the EU is going to focus on. So Apple, so this news came out uh, this week. Spotify had a statement where it was like, we are um, pleased to see that the EU agrees with us that Apple has anti uh, has acted anti-competitively <laughs> and we cannot wait for the resolution uh, to their decision. And Apple released a statement saying, we are pleased that the EU um, confirmed that Apple did not <laughs> use the in-app purchase system <laughs> monopolistically and we continue to await and, um, the remainder of the decision. So they both took a very positive spin on matters. But in a sure, way, yeah. this was a loss for Spotify because one of their two main complaints has been dropped. Um, but um, if they can get the second one through and it has meaningful change, then it will still be they'll still uh, benefit from that eventually. But the main point here is this is just taking so long. Like you know, we're we're five years into this now, and they're just getting to the point of refining the complaint down. It could be easily like another year before the use officially like yeah, Apple, you got to stop doing this or that, and you have to you know to give retribution in this or that way. Right. Yep. Uh, in Apple's defense, they cost more. <laughs> for this you know they raised the price they did raise the price yeah um technically after the commission concludes its filings um if they do believe there's infringement uh they can basically force the company to change its policy i apple would be uh, constrained to not allow third-party developers to discuss um alternative payment methods and they can theoretically impose a fine up to 10% of the company's annual worldwide turnover, which obviously for Apple is tens of billions of dollars. It's mm-hmm. probably unlikely that they will impose a fine on that level. They might not even impose a fine at all. In most of these anti-competitive cases that throw through the EU, uh, they generally just require um, business changes and policy changes. Because uh, it's obviously as soon as they, uh, if they... If they push their hand too much, then the companies are incentivized to fight it in court, whereas if they do something, you know, less severe, then the companies will just accept the ruling and get on with it. So that's probably what's going to happen when this um, undertaking concludes. And the EU would say, well, just because we've made this statement, it doesn't prejudge the outcome of the investigation. We could still find nothing at all, but likely Mm -hmm. they'll probably find on the anti-steering charge maybe end of this year, early next year, and there'll be some, you know, consequence on Apple's business. But... I doubt it will come to 10% of the company's annual worldwide turnover. Yeah, although I think we we forecast that the American president would not uh, bar Apple Watches from being sold in the U.S. And that clear step hasn't happened yet. It's still a possibility. It is a possibility. I think it's unlikely. Who knows? But we'll see what happens. happens. Some of that stuff, it like... That even if they get blocked for a week, then they get unblocked. Like you remember that um, <laughs> the whole patent loss, the whole patent fight in China. What was it like, 2018, 2019, when Qualcomm mm-hmm. and Apple were fighting it out, and they got infringements in some countries, and the iPhone was blocked for sale, and then Apple released an update like the next day that changed the animation for the multitasking um, switcher on the iPhone. Whereas like on, in the rest of the world, it had that you know card like swipe up thing, but then for whatever reason, to avoid a patent that Qualcomm had. Uh, in China at the time, if you swiped up on it in China, it would just fade out. So it was like, you know, there's all these bizarre Byzantine things that they can do to get around this stuff. I highly yeah. doubt the Apple Watch will be blocked from sale in the US uh, for any meaningful period of time. But stranger things have happened. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then back to Spotify one more time. Um, it, it 
so 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 much time has passed that it seems like Apple may just reach the conclusions that that Spotify is looking for without regulation because of other regulation that they're facing around the world. So um, this. I, I remember when you first brought when we first discussed this story when they, when they had the not fair website, um, you had mentioned this will take a long long time, and boy has it, and so much so that we've seen a lot of other changes around the world, including Apple's attitude on on what it would even consider doing. Um, so much so that like it, Spotify might win, but it might not be their win specifically. So yeah, like so they have relaxed their policies slightly in the intervening five years and. There's clear evidence that they're going to do even more, especially in light of the incoming um, Digital Markets Act stuff from Europe, which is going to supposedly force Apple to support, you know, sideloading alternative app stores, other other big reaching policy changes that back in 2019, when Spotify first filed its charges, were like completely unheard of and unthinkable. But a lot, yeah. you know, a lot's happened since then. Still a pretty good argument, though, that, that Apple can sell the same music and get 100% of the revenue that it charges. And then Spotify can sell, again, the same music and then need to, if it were to go through the app store, would need to give Apple 30% or 15%, depending on how long it's been. Mm-hmm. So, and same thing with audiobooks, which is, maybe at the time we said, that's probably why they even added audiobooks was to make their, their argument. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> A big factor, at least. Yep. Uh, Apple Books. So iOS 16.4 beta 2 is out and it brings a very welcome change to apple books on the iphone and the ipad what is that the page curl is back page curl. so this animation where you could see the page you know the pages turn like a physical book with the with the you know the paper curling and you can use your finger with a swipe gesture to move the page as you do it and you know you can turn the corner and flick back that has been in ios in ibooks since the original version it was demoed as part of the original ipad keynote in january 2010 so is that ios 4.2 ios 4 it probably no it was 3.2 3.2 because remember the the original ipad didn't get ios 4 until like the fall like so the 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 original ipad shit with 3.2 so yeah ios 3.2 ibooks had this page core animation and it was one of the most impressive things of the entire of that first ipad announcement just in terms of like the technical complexity and the interaction and it was really cool um, and then it carried on, it carried on, and it always felt like, you know, the Apple Books app or the iBooks app never got the most love in the world, but that page curl was pretty unique. And Kindle and other apps did a page curl of sorts, but it was never to the level of finesse that the Apple one was. Um, so it was really like quite a big trademark, I, I thought. And I don't use the Books app that much, but every time I did, I was like, this page curl is really nice. iOS 16 comes around. That beautiful animation is completely gone. They've replaced it with a new animation, which is like, swiping cards and you like just swipe left to right and the cards disappear or come back and it's very 2d and flat and static and it feels terrible and it looks terrible um like as well as dropping the skeuomorphic as- aspect of looking like real paper it also just looks like a bad animation um well it's it's di- it's a different skeuomorphic metaphor too because before you know it's the metaphor is a physical book in this case it's it's still a metaphor of like you're moving cards out of the it's world. more like flashcards right? kind just, of yeah yeah it's like you're reading a novel and the <laughs> flashcards yeah, but anyway, it's, it sucked. It looks awful. Um, yeah. And at the time, it was like, you know, obviously iOS 16 was a pretty positive update overall, so this was like a footnote. But still, it was like, oh, this isn't very nice. And I tweeted about it, and the tweet got loads of retweets, and I think we did some blog posts and stuff, and it was like a thing for like a day. Um, and I thought, well, RIP. You know, someone's changed the app. They've rewrote it. Maybe it's a Swift UI view now, so they're not looking back. And the page core things from, you know, literally a decade-old era of of code yeah. probably 
but apparently there was enough people that you know filed feedback and made a stink about it that iOS 16.4 is here and it's back. And in fact, they have more options now. So for the there's now a, a dedicated op- a setting in the um, preferences for books for how you want the pages to turn, and the options are slide, which is the new iOS 16 one, which is terrible. There's curl, which is basically what the old animation was with the page curling and you can use it with your finger and you can go back and forward and but one by the way one of the things that people were like responding to me about when i was complaining about this back in september was well the page curl thing was bad because you had to swipe the page and it was like an effort versus just tapping but tapping always worked like that wasn't an argument like you can tap and it just does the animation or you can swipe you know and it tracks your finger so you can always tap or swipe but it just looks like a page curl um, but anyway, so they've got the they got the slide, they've got the curl, and they've also got none. And none is called none, but it's really a fade because you just swipe and the, it fades, cross fades. And, from it, one and it's, it's represented by a lightning bolt. For some reason, the icon is a lightning bolt. Don't know why. I guess they're trying to say it's the fastest option, but it doesn't feel particularly fast. Um, but yeah, like they've now got three settings for page curl animation. Plus, if you this, want to count it, there's a yeah. separate button which changes it to top to bottom scrolling like a website which has been around yeah, for a yeah, while so. but now it's like a separate option yeah that that's a pretty tough way to read a book i think is scrolling, scrolling thing, like yeah. a website yeah and the hard, default hard to keep appears to place. still be sliding so they haven't oh, changed course. the default um i changed it back to curl because the curl is just so much nicer mm-hmm. i'm happy they brought the curl back if i was being picky i'd say just is this really the kind of thing that needs a standalone setting like could they not just put the curl back and be done with it? Like, is having options for this really a, a thing? Oh, seems seems kind of crazy to me, but here we are. The, the Books app has another setting now for curling. Um, yeah, this this reminds me of w- w- the update, well, maybe it was 15, where they took away the loop and then they brought it back. Mm-hmm. So so when you, you, you press down and you select text and you want to really inspect closer and get it precisely. And the loop was gone for like multiple class. years, I think. Like yeah, I think time. it was a whole OS. For yeah, like a whole, whole version. Yeah, yeah. At least this was yeah, it was right. it was within the same cycle. So. Right. For Apple, yeah, so, this so was relatively 16. fast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So iOS sixteen point four not out yet. It's in beta beta two version or public beta two version. Um, but once it's out for everybody, then then this will return to the iPhone and and the iPad is more where I I care about the books. So, um, I, I do uh, use audiobooks, and that's. I use that on the phone and, and in CarPlay, um, and it's it's it stands out to me that well, well, a couple of things there. I I'd forgotten just how good the audiobooks experience is from Apple Books. So they they've got a really good looking user interface, which I talked about a couple of years ago. Um, it's it's pricing wise, you know, it's not Audible. Audible just feels like a much better better market to spend your money in. Um, but they sync between devices, including including the watch. They stream, um, including on the Mac. So it's really nice. And then uh, other thing I noticed was that both Apple Books and the podcast app, Apple Podcast, use the old volume UI. So the big knob that you that you press and slide versus the iOS 16 volume user interface, where it's this bar that you can drag anywhere, tap anywhere to drag and move around, and I, I I can understand if you have a preference of one or the other, and maybe you're happy that it hasn't changed in podcasts and 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 books yet. Um, but regardless of of that, I think the inconsistency is kind of maddening. That in some Apple apps you do it one way, and in some Apple apps you do it the other way. 
Completely agree. I don't know how you feel like, about that. As, especially <laughs> in the books is slightly different because the UI is more distinct. But like podcasts and music, the way the like now playing UI, the cards look, is almost the same. Like they swipe up from the bottom in the little bar. The placement of all the buttons is almost the same, except the the podcast app is the older version, and so all the muscle memory is broken. It just looks wrong. They, those things should 100% be kept in sync, and it didn't happen. The same thing happened when they redesigned um, the icons for the now playing button, like play pause and rewind and stuff or music, like two yeah. or three versions ago. It then took the podcast up like a year, year and a half to catch up, and then they did adopt it. Uh, so we'll see maybe iOS 17, maybe the podcast app does get that, you know, more gestural yeah, the only, only saving only saving grace here is that on the lock screen, if you do have podcasts or Apple books, it's... The lock screen knows. Yeah, the lock screen is the modern version. Yeah, and then lastly, from iOS 16.4 beta 2, there's more Apple classical references. So this is the um, (laughs) announced year before last to come out last year, uh, specific music experience designed around classical music, so Apple classical. Uh, No word yet on anything else, but the references continue to appear, and not just like old references, but ongoing references yeah it, it doesn't seem like it's a scrap project it no and even like a couple of months back well it does seem like it but there's yeah yeah, yeah there's no evidence yeah. it's been scrapped and a couple of months ago there was like an apple pr statement that in one sentence of it they referenced a classical music experience coming so i think they're still working on it but for whatever reason uh it's just the rena- uh, renowned the renowned yeah the, the, the i don't know how you can be renowned and not be available but they called it renowned yeah. so uh not around, but renowned. It was exactly. sh- maybe it'll ship before iOS seventeen. Maybe it won't, but we'll yeah. see. It's a, it's it's close, but not close. Soon, but not yet. Mm-hmm. This week's episode of Happy Hour is brought to you by Collide. Our sponsor, Collide, has some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet up to one hundred percent compliance. How do they achieve this? Well, it's super simple. If a device isn't compliant, the user just can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It forces a person to do the necessary fixes. It's that simple. And based on that simple idea, Collide patches one of the major holes in a zero-trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide, IT departments struggle to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and web browser up to date on the latest version. Without Collide, non-updated, unsecured devices can log into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with the Okta platform. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and tells them how to fix it. If they don't perform the fix within a set time period, then they're blocked out. It's a really simple way of getting people always to be on the latest OS releases to keep them secure. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance for your business. Visit collide.com slash happy hour to learn more or book a demo. That's collide, K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash happy hour. Thanks to Collide for sponsoring the show. All right, I want to take a step back in time to 2018 when the current iPad Pro design was introduced. Okay. Yeah, this this design is still what we have today on the 11-inch and, and, and 12.9-inch iPad and over you know over, over the summer last year we went through the iOS or iPad OS 16 beta um, cycle where 
one of the big things was for a stage manager, you needed to have an M1 or later chip to have stage manager where you've, you've got a form of windowing on the iPad. And then before the year, the beta period was out, the 2018 iPad Pro received support as well, sans external display support. So pretty, pretty good trade-off there. Um, something I've been thinking about, though, is is it's sparked by this. So I was using an iPad mini as like sort of just my iPad experience, not very active, but just to reference it. And um, recently traded with my daughter because she had, I didn't realize, but my 2018 iPad Pro. So usually if I have a device and I upgrade it, I sell it and help pay for the new thing. And so I never have this old technology, for, old, quote unquote, for around for very long. Um, but in this case, because it was handed down, it ended up sticking around in the family. And it wasn't originally like to her. It was to her mom. And then her mom gave it to her after she broke an iPad or so or two or three. I don't know. But she eventually got it. And I said, let's let's trade the uh, let's trade iPads. You know, you get the mini. I'll get this older one. And um, and then, then I got to actually have experience with Stage Manager um, and, and more more than just a try it at the, at Best Buy or the Apple store somewhere and, and actually, you know, use my iPad the way I use it and then see if there are, are things that make sense in, in ways to use it. Um, and and for the most part, I'm, I was more surprised. Like when I was first using Stage Manager, I was texting you things like, uh, it would be nice if you could have this window reach the top and bottom of the screen when you've got four of these columns up by side. And and then, we you know, we both say, yeah, that, you know, that's the old story there, but but it turns out, you know, and, and using it more, I'm like, oh, by the way, you can hide that and hide that and then drag it down even further. And then you do fill in the screen. So um, naturally with use, you know, it's like, you know, it's just not. It is some learning curve and also it. some um, indictment of the intuitiveness of the interface. I'd sure. Say. Yeah. A mixture yeah, of the yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm mostly interested in, though, is, is just the, the sheer longevity of the 2018 iPad Pro hardware. Um, based on the 2020 update, and then um, I guess it was a 2021, two, oh, two. 20, 2022. Yeah. Okay, so recent, yeah. So they've had two hardware revisions since the 2018 model, and that was a while ago. We're looking at almost five years now of of that design, and it still feels super modern. I think like just looking at my looking at this 2018 iPad Pro is 11 inches. Um, only thing that kind of stands out it would be maybe the bezels are, are thicker than you've seen on other Apple products since then for this scale, this size, like maybe even just the Mac displays are the reason that that's, that's the case here. But it, it's, it's sort of this problem I was having was, wow, the 2018 iPad Pro, it, it's aged probably the best of any Apple hardware in a long, long time. And if you if you like the 2018 one and you you want to you know buy a new one because you want the bigger size or you want to you know use the prefer the bigger size for it, it's it's darker contrast or you want to go to a cellular model or a model with more storage it just feels like a bad time to buy a new iPad Pro because this one from 2018 has aged so well and we must be on the cusp you know maybe a year or two out from the next iPad revision that will feel like a, a, a good, you know, it will age well. But as Apple updates the iPad Pro with revisions that add LiDAR 
and then add an M2 chip to the M1 with, with not much difference, then those don't feel like they're going to age well at all. They, they, they're so close to the 2018 one. Um, I mean, you, you get some things, like you get the ability to hover with the pencil and, and unlock some new features there. You get external display support. So if you are hooking it up to a monitor, you can have sort of an extended iPad experience. We actually forgot a model, um, I've just realized. There was another generation. Yeah? Yeah, so there was 2018, obviously. Uh-huh. Then in 2020, yeah. there was the A12Z version, uh, the LiDAR oh. scanner. Yeah. And then in 2021, they had the M1 iPad Pro. You're right, yeah. And then in 2022, they had the M2 chip one. So we've had a pretty good <laughs> pretty good amount of iPad Pro updates since 2018. Three different yeah, models Yeah, three models since, since 2018. Yeah. 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 And, and, and there's, as there's forgettable so as the other. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool as each other. So many things, too, like you can say... Um, you know, why doesn't the 11 inch have the, um, uh, micro mini LED, mini LED. You tried, you tried. I I did. I hesitated and waited, but no. Uh, so you can complain about that. You can, uh, that's kind of the biggest one, (laughs) but I think with the, with the the last generation, it was why did they not change the keyboard accessories when like the base model iPad got the function row and stuff like. And the webcam placement. And the webcam and exactly placement, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I guess my point, though, is like, it's just, it, it's A, commendable that the 2018 iPad Pro has aged so well. I, I cannot think of a better hardware product. I mean, if you look at the iPhone from then, it would be the, the 10s era. HomePod. <laughs> HomePod carried its ground for, for as many years, whether it was still being sold or not. But we don't have with iPad Pro 2018 the problems of, they eventually stop working, you know, or they go off the market and then get replaced by something very similar years later. Well, the, th- um, the thing with the HomePod was it was criticized in many regards at launch. And so yeah. even though it hasn't, you know, it's held up well over that time, those criticisms still remain. I feel like the 2018 iPad Pro was like universally praised with almost no complaints at the time. And yeah, that's con- continued onwards. Yeah. So I don't know you your iPad Pro experiences that you've got the generation before that you've got the twelve point nine inch. Uh, I got the OG. Well, I don't even have yeah. it anymore. It kind of died. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did have. That's my oh, last one I've actually owned. Right. Which is a yeah. a, a long time ago. Yeah. And I've been waiting. You... I've been waiting mm-hmm. to get another one. But my problem is, I don't use it for enough stuff. Really, like I can't get my work done on it. And they're like almost as expensive as laptops, so it's like you know, you hesitate, and like you, it's it's really good for watching video on it and stuff, and like browsing Twitter. But then I can do that on my phone, so that's been my problem with getting back into the you know iPad hardware um, buying cycle. Uh, But I can definitely appreciate like that. Twenty eighteen is an incredible device. They they popped off when they shipped that thing because that was only one year. After they did the Face ID first iPhone and the iPhone 10, right? That's right. Because the Face yeah. ID iPhone was 2017, end of 2017, and they did the iPad Pro update the year after, featuring Face ID, featuring a major design update that made it super thin, super modern, super thin bezels. Like you, you mentioned how the bezels don't look as thin now because they, you compare them maybe to the MacBook, but they are like mm-hmm. different products. Like the iPad is a tablet you have to hold, and it has symmetric bezels. Like the the Mac has obviously has the notch situation. Um, 
which the iPad doesn't have. It just has slightly thicker bezels all the way around. So I think design-wise, it, it looks super, super modern and stylish. Like, the iPhone XS comparison is great because you have an iPhone XS and I think it looks outdated. It looks old. It's not It's not that if you had an iPhone XS, it would be useless. People, Plenty of people still have them and they use them. Maybe the batteries need replacing, but otherwise, they, you know, they, they serve their purpose. But you... And... I, there's a, there's a combination of the 2018 was so good and the updates they've done to it, the updates they've done to that line since have been relatively minor. So you could buy a 2018 today and still be very, very happy with it. The performance in that chip, the A12X is super good. Um, you know, if they hadn't have done the software limitation on the stage manager stuff, you might feel more left out. Obviously, you don't get the external display stuff, which is M1 and M2 exclusive. But overall, it's like... That 2018 iPad Pro is uh, is a big winner. Uh, like, yeah. the Macs, the Macs weren't like that. You know, if you have a 2018 MacBook Pro, you can't wait to change it out for an Apple Silicon version. You needed to wait until 2020 to have that experience. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of hopeful that the, you know, maybe the first generation of Apple Silicon MacBook Pro or the first generation, uh, sorry, the second generation MacBook Air, um, they might have that same lasting power that the yeah the 2018 ipad pro does where you know we could be five years down the road and maybe they've released other versions and newer hardware maybe even design changes to the hardware but that like is like a landmark installment in that product line that just you know mm-hmm. way ahead of the competition at the time and then that means down the road it still still stands stands proud as a as a really good purchase yeah I mean, so many things that the, the accessories are the same so when the 2018 ipad pro came out there wasn't the Magic Keyboard. That was a 2020 experience, product release. With the yeah, because right? that was like early March. That was just the beginning of the pandemic yeah. era was when they did the Magic Keyboard. Yeah. yeah. It was a pretty big surprise too because it's it's whole big update to the iPad software where you've got a proper cursor support and then you've got that keyboard. You've got you've got an accessory that has not just the, you know, keys under in, inside of the cover that are, you know, covered in a material, but you've got actual... Uh, well, they call it a magic keyboard. So I guess it's scissor switches, and not, and, and it's so backlit and proper. Proper. Had, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you you mount it. You've got more adjustability than you've had before. So that was a pretty pretty big enhancement thanks to an accessory that was added to it. Same Apple Pencil, unless you consider Hover, no changes there. So the Apple Pencil experience has been the same, um, and <laughs> it's even it's made even better by the fact that the iPad 10 pulled out that trick of the Apple Pencil one you know, a compatibility and not Apple Pencil 2. It's like, so we've, we've actually gone backwards in terms of Apple Pencil um, progressiveness <laughs> overall. And so that makes the iPad 2018, the iPad Pro 2018 even better in comparison to that. Um, and it's just this feeling of like, okay, I think that the limitation here is that I, I would go for a cellular model because I enjoy that on an iPad. If I'm actively using an iPad, I enjoy having that, that option. Um, it's just so much fat. It's just faster and more efficient than, than, um, using hotspot. But, um, you know, and I would go for a model with more storage cause 64 gigabytes, you know, they don't sell that anymore. It's, it's now up from that as, as the least you can buy. Um, there's just, and the camera situation has gone from, from one little camera bump to like the mound now, and, and they've added ultra wide and, and both on the front and back cameras and you've got uh, center stage and that sort of thing. But, um, they're all just so not essential th- that it doesn't feel like, you know, I-, I have this feeling of like, I like this product, I'm enjoying it, 
I want to kind of support it and I want to feel like I'm having the best experience of it. And it's just this strange feeling of five years later, it doesn't feel like it's justifiable to pay for the best experience compared to what you could just continue to use this for. So it's and it's, it's, it's a strange feeling to have. As it stands at the moment, what are you using your iPad Pro for? Like, are you are you using Stage Manager day to day, or have you you were just experimenting? Like, are you, are you what I'm I mean, trying to get? At, are you using it for productivity tasks, or are you just using it as a you know entertainment machine? Yeah, I, I've spent some time where I'm using it as a way. I'm, I'm trying to see the limits of what you know. How much work can I do on it aside from podcasting? Um, how much sort of blogging work can I do on it? And pretty impressed there, especially because, you know, you've got a four-app limitation, but Safari can be two instances, so two windows. And then so Safari could be TweetDeck streaming, and then Safari for web browsing, and then you can have three other apps, so sort of five windows on screen that you that you move around. Um, so So that's sort of just seeing, like, that's the limitation as far as I can push it. But in terms of just actual use, I do find that Stage Manager is, is kind of fun to use um, with just casual stuff. And, and when I say casual, like I'm, I'm doing notes in the Freeform app with the Apple Pencil um, for, for chapters of the podcast. So as, as, we, as we go, I've done this for a few weeks where um, before I was using my finger and then I got another pencil. Um, but I, I do the, the topic and the, and the time that we're discussing things. And um, I find that really nice. Um, I've got Safari over on the side with something I might want to reference in the future. I do find that I'll, I'll, I'll turn off stage manager, mostly with Slack. If I'm using Slack, because it'll get stuck in a way where I think if it's not the smallest size, if it's in the middle or not full screen, I think the keyboard doesn't work. So that's kind of a Slack problem. Um, but so, so for that reason, I do find myself going back and forth. But e- even with iPhone apps on the iPad, so Instagram, for example, um, it's a better experience in Stage Manager because you can resize it, sort of pull the window diagonally to resize. And th- they changed iPhone iPhone apps on the iPad to go from just a portrait orientation, 1X or 2X, to also work in landscape. But when you've got Stage Manager there, um, you can pull in another window. So you could have Instagram by Safari, for example. And it's not as customizable. It can only be pulled diagonally in terms of, of expanding it versus, you know, a full, a total column. But even if you're just using the iPhone version of the of an app, without another app next to it, you get the background of your wall, your, your iPad wallpaper, not just black. So um, over, overall, like, if you're not looking at this as, like, Mac-style windowing, then you're saying, okay, I'm not looking at, at Stage Manager as I want to finally crossed the hurdle that I've been looking to be able to do to use the Mac less or in a different for only certain things doesn't do that, but it does do kind of the just nicety of, of moving around things. And, um, and the fact that it's a separate button, separate mode that you go in through control center, I think in, in, on paper, that's super weird, but in use, it's kind of, it, it's practical to have an escape hatch of, I, I want to do that, or I want to jump out of that and just have a full screen experience, or the old slide ever way, etc. So, yeah, I I am, um, and then I'm using it for web browsing. I'm using it for watching, you know, video. I, I watched a couple of TV shows on it, and um, as as a screen, it's compelling. Um, not not really any gaming, but uh, certainly for 
you know, air, air playing a podcast, your music around. So all the things that just sort of you can do on the on the phone. But if you're tired and eyes, your eyes are old, then um, it's nicer on a, on a larger screen to have that. So um, even the other day, I was doing my, my taxes for this past year uh, with my accountant. And I had um, taken some, some notes in the Apple Notes app on the Mac. And then in the meeting, I brought the iPad with me and just sort of passed it off to him. And then he referenced the note in a way that was useful for him. And it kind of felt cool. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm using the iPad in a way that's helpful, but it doesn't feel like I'm relying on it. it you know, it does, it, I could definitely do everything without it, but it's 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 a nice device to have um, if you feel like you're getting your money's worth out of it. And, and for sure, if you're using a product from five years ago and you're still getting your money's worth out of it, that feels pretty pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, you know, back to books. I've been, I have been, I have a huge catalog of Apple books. I bought audiobooks and sort of eBooks, and I have not read every single one of them. And so, so something I've tried doing now is since using this iPad is um, let me go back and, and read these books I bought in 2012 and so on. Um, and so I've been doing that. And so uh, that's that's a pretty good feeling too. And are yeah, you going to curl the page or are you going to slide the page? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to curl. Yes. The, the lack of curl didn't prevent me from reading a book. But as an option to return, it's certainly definitely the way I will turn it on to be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. So yeah, iPad 2018 iPad Pro, fantastic product, Hall of Fame for sure. Um, I'm looking forward to the big redesign, and maybe that's when I'll jump on board the iPad Pro change, the iPad Pro train again. Like that was kind of rumored for um, last year originally, and then obviously it didn't happen. So we're kind of waiting it out. There's supposedly a big redesign to the iPad coming in one way or another. Um, but even so. You can't you can't deny that 2018 iPad Pro was such a big swing and a big hit. Like they they scored big with that one, and it's easily one of the best Apple products they've ever done in recent memory. We are sponsored this week also by Wild Grain. There's nothing quite like the smell of fresh baked bread coming out of the oven. It's just divine sensations, but it's such a hassle to actually get that. But what if I told you you can get that delicious experience and enjoy all of those tasty flavours, but with none of the time and work involved? Wild Grain is the solution. Sign up at wildgrain.com slash happy hour. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box, delivering sourdough breads, fresh pastas and artisanal pastries to your door. Unlike what you get in the supermarket, Wild Grain breads use a slow fermentation process that's easier on your belly, lower in sugar and rich in nutrients and antioxidants. Every item in your box bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. And you'll never get bored. They're continuously adding new, seasonal, and limited-time special items to try. Now, Zach, I know you got a chance to try out a wild grain box, right? I did, and it was amazing. I love bread. And to have this big box of a variety of breads, not just like different loaves of bread, but croissants, chocolate croissants, the pastas that you have, and then breads for dinner that you can put away in the freezer and then pull out whenever you're ready for them. Really cool experience. The taste is perfect. <laughs> I, I really, this is one of my favorite sponsor samples to receive because it's just so tasty and good and great. <laughs> <laughs> so all you have to do to get that is sign up now at wildgrain.com slash happy hour and choose which type of box is for you. And for every new member, Wild Grain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank, so you can eat good and do good all at the same time. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off your first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to Wild Grain 
patreon.com slash happy hour to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash happy hour. One more time, that's wildgrain.com slash happy hour or you can use promo code happy hour at checkout. Thanks to Wildgrain for sponsoring the show. All right. Something I want to mention, I, I wrote a story about this the other day. Uh, it's something that's possible for a while, and I finally did it, which is um, Apple Watch face automation. What I've done specifically is sunset and sunrise change my watch face from the same watch face, but the light mode or the dark mode of it. So having the clock, the dial be white during the day for legibility and sort of liking that look and then changing it to the dark version um, at, at, at night because... It's blinding to have a white light-up watch at night. And if I have to pick one, I'm going to go with dark all day. But I, I was just poking around shortcuts. I knew that you could automate faces. Um, and I was quickly able to, to figure out what I needed to do, which is create two of the same watch faces, one and two, all with the same complications, but the only difference is being the dial color. Mm. And then doing a time-of-day automation to say, at sunrise, set this one as light. At sunset, go to this watch face, which is dark, and it's effectively light mode, dark mode for Apple Watch faces, which should exist anyway. But the fact that you can do it with shortcuts is pretty good. Um, usually, I think of shortcuts as kind of hacky. Like, there's going to be sure you can do it, but at what cost? You know, or how reliable and is so, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, in the past, it's been things like you always get a notification about this, or you have to confirm that you want to run this automation. You know, those have been resolved where you can say, don't alert me and don't ask for confirmation ever. And occasionally you might get, well, I, have, I haven't seen it from this, but um, I guess I did another one that I forgot to turn off and that did give me an alert, a summary about it. But So I think uh, I think some of them, even if you have don't, don't confirm every time or don't notify me, like maybe very, very occasionally periodically, it says like, you know, five of your shortcuts have done stuff in the background in the last month mm-hmm. or whatever just to kind of keep you aware yeah. in i guess if yeah. someone like subtly in in set up a shortcut on your behalf and it was doing something nefarious and you didn't know about can't, it can't figure it out yeah. yeah but it's nowhere it's nowhere near as bad as the old days where every single time the automation fired you get a notification about it there's no way i could use this automation and and be sane if i had to deal with an alert or give permission to each time so not having to do that is is makes it even possible to to live with um some of the tricky parts are, though, that when you're setting, doing the set watch face option, you're looking at a list of watch faces by their name and not by their appearance. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got to be precise to order and to order, you know, for, for me, what I did was the light watch face first, the dark watch face second. So rearranging your watch faces in order that you can easily recognize based on their position and not their appearance because you're not going to get that ability when you're setting up the shortcut um but and, and then like you said reliability so does it work every time things I, I i questioned was would it work if my watch is off my wrist if it's locked or if it's charging would the automation still run because if i have to have my watch on at sunset and sunrise for it to work it'll mostly be okay but not always and so i'd want it to be always reliable um you know what if you switch to another watch face so you're off your schedule would it go back to the schedule at the next sunset or sunrise time? And it does. It, it does work when it's off your wrist. I think if you turned it off, like physically powered it down, it wouldn't work, I would imagine. But as long as it's turned on, 
um, it, it works. And so I, I've been really impressed with that. Only thing I didn't try is if your phone's not with you whenever you go to, you know, whenever it's that trigger time of day. I imagine that might not work, but those are the limitations that are so, you know, th- those are edge cases, not things like, does it give you an alert every time? Does it actually work each time, even if you're charging your watch? So I've been really impressed by that. So I, I wrote up, you know, sort of the process for what I did to do that. Um, maybe kind of why you'd want to do that. And you could even go further than what I've done. So I've, I've got two like watch faces, both analog clocks, but just with a white background or a dark background. And you, you could go further though. You could say at, in, in night mode, I want these complications to be presented, and I, at, in light in dark mode, I want these other ones to be. So, you know, sort of context. There's another thing you can do where you can change based on location or Wi-Fi, and I I wanted to do a thing where when I go to my gym, it goes to a digital watch face with the workout app on top, or you know, specific things, music controls right there, heart rate, activity rings. Um, and you can do that by location, but my gym, I pass by it every single day whether I'm, when I'm leaving my neighborhood. So I couldn't narrow down the geofence small enough to not trigger it every time I leave my neighborhood. And then they do have Wi-Fi, so I looked at joining their Wi-Fi. Anytime I, I arrive at the gym, changing. But I don't think it's possible to say when you leave the Wi-Fi, when you go back to your cellular connection or you go back to the other way you know I, I could say at the gym wi-fi do the the fitness face back on my wi-fi if it's you know resume resume my schedule basically um, but I, i'd like to see join wi-fi fitness face leave that network uh, wh- the, whatever face i'm using if it's daytime light mode if it's nighttime the dark mode version of, it, of the fudge face so can't quite get all the way there to what i want it to be but i'm really happy with just the basic if it's daytime, my my watch has a light background on the clock, and if it's nighttime, it's dark. It's really impressed by that for for how I'm using my watch, and and it's kind of changed my fondness for the watch in terms of of having it do what I want it to do and the customizability of it all. So that's my watch story this week. The next thing we're talk about is Apple's trade-in value on their on their phones. This is something that fluctuates all the time. Um, Mayo, why does it keep changing per device? And what's the state of iPhone trading is right now? Yeah, so normally it will go down gradually after the new generation comes out because the older phones get less valuable as time progresses. And so naturally trading prices go down over time. That's just, you know, basic reality. But when Apple has demand issues or they need to sell a few more phones or they want to spruce up some sales on products, they quite an often tactic they turn to is to boost trading values to try and incentivize people with holding on to older devices to get new ones. And that's what's happened this week because at least on a fair number of their phones and on their Macs as well, uh, the trading values have actually risen. So iPhone 13 Pro Max, iPhone 13 Pro, you get $30 more now than you did before if you traded it in. MacBook Pro, you can get like $50 more. And, you know, smaller changes around the line. iPad Air has gone up to 320 from 230 so that's a $90 increase. Like, you know, some some decent boosts across the line. And if you want to trade in something simply, the Apple Store is a decent place to do it and get, you know, an, a non-terrible amount of money in return for it. If you want to maximize your money, uh, you should sell, you know, sell privately through eBay or something, but then you've got other hassles. If you just want a simple option, the Apple Store trade-in is okay, and it's especially okay when they're putting the trading value up rather than down. 
Um, they never say really why they put the trading value up or down. They did back in 2018 when they had the real iPhone demand problem in the 10 s cycle and they like emphasized boosted trading values, get, you know, upgrade now uh, with these boosted values. This time around, they've got a little banner on the homepage um, just kind of like reminding people that they can trade in their stuff. But if you actually look at the prices, the prices are increased. Um, so maybe this is a sign that sales in the current quarter aren't quite as going as well as they hoped, maybe. Or maybe they just have some excess stock or various changes. Obviously, we're in the midst of, you know, impending recession, economic weakness. Um, and everyone's been kind of waiting out to see whether Apple's going to be hit hard too. This might be the first indicator because if phones are flying off the shelves, they have no reason to put trading values up, right? Next up, we've got TV Plus. Uh, ad executives, they're keeping higher. Apple keeps hiring ad executives for for Apple TV Plus, which is a an ad-free service, but... Um, you can look at Friday Night Baseball. You can look at MLS, and you can see in the future, especially how they how they'd want to have more expertise on um, ad folks for that. Uh, is this anything to do with ads? An ad tier coming to Apple TV Plus in the future, or is it all about sports and monetizing the sports packages? Well, they they obviously are invested now in advertising for the sports stuff. Uh, but the information report from last week, which discussed the hires, so the new hires. Um, a person called Lauren Fry, who's a TV and digital video advertising executive. The information phrases it as that people directly, um, you know, sources familiar that matter say Lauren Fry is coming on board to help build a vid- video advertising business for Apple TV Plus in- itself. So this isn't just um, part of, you know, facilitating their sports streaming stuff. This is specifically targeting TV Plus with ads, which is something we've kind of heard, you know, murmured around a bit in the run up last year. But now it seems like it's seriously happening and they're actually working on it. Um, and obviously the streaming marketplace has evolved quite a lot recently and Apple is now the only major streaming service that doesn't have an ad-supported tier. You know, Netflix has ad-supported tier after years of saying they were never going to do ads. Um, Disney launched an advertising tier in the end of last year. All these companies are launching ad-supported tiers um, partly because... They're having to put prices up to make money and a way to compensate for that is to introduce ad tiers which can be cheaper because they make their money through the ads. Um, secondly, they're all looking for ways to boost their subscriber numbers and if you can get cheaper prices via ads, uh, that's good. Um, thirdly, they in some cases, these services that have successful ad-supported pro, um, tiers are actually making more money through the ad impressions than they are through the subscriptions um, because the ad, the ad market is still very strong. And so video ads have really high um, conversion rates and CPMs. So they're actually making a lot of money through them. And so if you have like Peacock, I think Peacock makes more money per customer on its ad-supported tier than it does on its non-ad-supported tier. Um, and so here's Apple, who obviously made a big song and dance in 2019 with their streaming service being ad-free. Uh, but times change, the, the market moves on, time moves forward. And I think there's some decent arguments to say that it's probably time for Apple TV Plus to add a ad supported option uh, obviously the you know the fully paid v- version would still exist and they're not going to shove ads on the most expensive tiers for no reason um so that will still be there for people that want it but i don't uh, but i think a cheaper tier um would help them attract more people to the service because they can get the price down they can get more people in and i think their biggest issue right now is getting more people into the service in the first place to get people watching their content and if you do an ad support tier if you could do it, you know, maybe it's not free, but maybe it's like three ninety nine a month or something with ads. Um, that gives a huge on-ramp for people that are interested in the TV Plus program in Slate but don't want to commit to what is now a six ninety nine a month subscription up from four ninety nine. 
um, it gives them a way in. And so I think this is probably going to happen. There was also some kind of like stigma maybe with ads for a while that like maybe when HBO added an ad supported tier with HBO Max that it would kind of like devalue the brand premium and like the you know the the prestige of the network would be hurt or impacted by the addition of an ad supported tier uh, as if like commercials are you know kind of lower rate for only for low rate channels not for the top stuff and i don't think that's really played out like people still treat the hbo brand as hbo it's just you can buy it with ads or without ads and hulu is a very successful service um their ad supported tier is probably the the most popular ad supported tier that exists um in the u.s marketplace and they've been doing it for a long time and it's, it's done very well for them so it probably makes sense for apple to join the fray here especially it, it made less sense when they were saying tv plus for 4.99 a month but now they're putting the price up to six ninety nine, and you know, realistically speaking, they'll probably put the price up again in the next couple of years. At that point, mm-hmm. there's a there's a nice gap in the place for them to put in a three ninety nine, four ninety nine ad supported tier. So I don't think yeah. this is a huge surprise, um, but it's interesting to see that they're now finally doing it. If you know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of feels like Apple TV wants to be ten or twelve dollars, especially when there's a bigger movie catalog than they have so far. Uh, and this is this incremental step of going there. What's interesting to me is that it, you're right about the HBO situation where it sort of felt like there was this it would devalue. And I think that's a carryover from the, the cable package version. So um, you, you'd pay extra for HBO on top of your, your cable package and you would not have ads in that experience. So um, that's just movies, TV shows running all together. Um, and then Netflix has set the model for no ads on streaming. So it sort of carries over that, like all streaming sort of because you're paying for it individually would be um, ad free. But uh, Hulu being um, what part Comcast, part Disney owned and operated, they've always had that ad free version. Um, and then I, I, I pay for uh, Hulu with live TV. And so, of course, on the live TV part of it, where it's basically replacing cable, um, there are the ads that come with live TV. And then I also have. I guess the ad version of Hulu to save maybe five or ten dollars a month on that. Um, so if I'm watching, like I'm, I've been watching Only Murders in the Building, and that that I'll have the the ad breaks there, and um, those don't bother me at all. I'm pretty accustomed to that, I guess, from watching live TV as well, and 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 everything. I, I've got the HBO Max package with ads, um, and I think if you have a bunch of different services, saving you know two or five or, or however many dollars you you do per subscription having an ad free tier feels like a much better way of doing that than than paying the most for each service yeah it, it adds up if you subscribe to three or four and you choose <laughs> the ad plans up. you're basically getting one of them for free right compared to buying them all with the with the ad supported options yeah then the part where it gets weird for apple tv is that you know back to spotify spotify's you know they've got premium spotify they've also got ad free spotify which i think is widely popular so you've got um ads audio ads in between songs and on playlists and other limitations apple's been pretty vocal about not having an ad experience in apple music not not wanting to do that spotify level so you you could look at apple tv plus doing it which i think is totally normal and then you, it'd be tougher to argue why would you not do it for music i guess the business are, are different video ads success versus audio ad success um but it does make this this kind of get me there, which is, huh? If they do it for TV, would they do it for 
other services, mm. especially music. Remember they had iTunes Radio? That was ad-supported. Sort of, yeah. Sort of. Well, I think it would have been more ad-supported if they'd actually succeeded at selling the ads. Like The main reason I right. think Apple Music doesn't have ads is because back in the day when they were launching it, they were bad at doing advertising businesses. And sure. They, yeah. I th- some of the executives were against the idea of ads in general, but a lot of it was also just they weren't very good at selling ads to advertisers. So that's why like iAd failed. That's why the iTunes radio thing fell off. Um, I think Apple, I think Beats 1 was meant to have ads at one point, and then that kind of fell away. Um, so maybe in the fullness of time, they'll come back around and offer, you know, cheaper, free uh, ad-supported uh, tier for Apple Music as well. But I think the the competition element is less... Um, it almost, Even though Spotify and Apple Music are, like, way bigger in terms of subscriber numbers than streaming services are, like, you know, Netflix has 200 million subscribers, but Spotify has, like, 250 million subscribers to its music service. So although they're bigger services... The growth um, is all focused on video stuff, right? So I think for now, it's more important for them to focus on selling, um, on getting video uh, uptake on the on the on the TV Plus service. And like, the interesting thing here is, some people say if you put ads on a service, it then changes the programming that that network will create because they want to serve the advertisers and they don't want to maybe do some of the edgier programming um, because the advertisers will be turned off by it. I don't think we've seen that play out, at least not yet. And so, and I don't think it's a huge deal because, like, you just get different ads on the other programming, right? Like, I don't think, obviously, there is an incentive there to not just do what's best creatively and to do what's serving the ads. But generally, in these, in these like, streaming service organizations, the ads department and the content department are, like, separated and they don't generally, like, fight with each other like that, I don't think. So that, that concern hasn't really borne fruit. What is interesting, though, is that if you're going to launch an ad-supported tier, viewership, like raw viewership numbers, becomes way more significant as a factor. And what does TV Plus lack? Viewership, right? So mm-hmm. if they are going to launch an ad-supported option, I think there's way more pressure that for them to add like library content or like buy out a smaller studio, you know, just get more stuff in there to 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 get eyeballs in front of. Because if you're doing the premium, you know. Um, subscription only thing it doesn't matter if you only have a few million subscribers or whatever because you know you're making money off all of those and over time you're adding more and more subscribers but if you bring an ad supported service to the to the party you can't sell you can't get advertisers on board if your if your viewership figures are really really low like they're just not going to be interested and the thing will fail and so if they're going to do this i feel like they might have to change up their um, content slate strategy somewhat just to get more stuff on there on a rotating basis and we've seen them experiment with this a little bit in the US um, now they quite regularly every month have like limited time special movies right like so generally themed with yeah. their like original releases um, but they're like and then at the moment this is only a US only thing because they've only bought rights there and they only last for like two weeks 30 days and then they go away but if they dip in their toe in that way if they then add like the ad supported pressure of we need eyeballs, maybe they could just like start buying out more of those films for even longer periods of time, you know, like and have it more like a traditional service, um, or, or they invest even more in originals and get even more out the door. Like maybe there's more of a focus on known IP from other companies. Maybe they buy out a smaller studio and take their IP and start making new originals or something. Like I do think there is more of a pressure just to get viewership higher at a faster rate if you're going to launch ad supported options. Yeah, bring on the ads, just not in the the Maps app. We don't want that. <laughs> I prefer if it was in the content side than the 
raw app side. Uh, so yeah. it's more it's more relevant there at least, you know. Yep. Uh, still in TV space. Uh, we discussed before the Ted Lasso season three teaser, which wasn't quite a trailer. Since then, the trailer's been released, and this was a weird thing because I saw you post it, and then it went away, like it was delisted, and then it came then it back. Came back. Were there any changes? Were there any changes to it? Or no, I think they just posted it early. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm still avoiding it, by the way, but but it's the 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 teaser wasn't really a teaser, and the trailer isn't really a trailer. It's a weird one. It's just like like most trailers, they're like you know they show a few clips and they say like the the multi award winning series returns, and then you have like some funny anecdote or like you know some small vignette from the series, and you know you carry on like this trailer is like almost zero dialogue for the entire three minutes. It's mostly just like clips with like a backing track and it's um you can't always get what you want that song so it's like obviously they paid a load of money to license a song but it's not a standard trailer in any way uh i thought it was a bit weird i wasn't like i was I, what i was trying to think is if i didn't know what ted lasso was and i wasn't like already a fan would this trailer convince me to watch and i wasn't sure if it would i, th- I thought it was a bit odd but you know that's not going to stop uh ted lasso season three being a phenomenon but it was just a weird a weird choice let's put it that way yeah Nice. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but that's why you were singing that song before the podcast. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can't always get what you want. Finally, this week, we are sponsored by Factor. You probably have loads of stuff on your to-do list for this year, things that you want to achieve. Well, Factor can help you get them done by saving time on cooking. It's all thanks to Factor's ready-to-eat nutritious meals that are delivered straight to your door. You don't need to spend time and energy on all of the usual prep, chop, cooking, serving, and cleanup work involved. And you can skip a trip to the grocery store. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and eat and enjoy. Go to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use promo code happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. Factor offers 34 meal options each week, including Gourmet Plus, Keto, Vegan, Veggie, and more. You always have plenty to choose from. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all of the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. And having Factor deliver fresh, ready-made meals to your doorstep is cheaper than dining out or getting takeaway. Meals are ready so much faster than waiting for a restaurant delivery in the evening. It takes just two minutes to heat up a Factor meal, and it's ready to eat. And Zach, I know you got a chance to try out Factor, right? I did, and I value a hot meal as much as I um, value not having to cook. So Factor really nails it there for me. Um, the quality, so much better than, than you'd, you'd get from fast food. You don't have that guilt feeling. Um, just tastes much better. It feels like an adult meal and not um, something that, that's you know for, for kids or something. So um, really a big fan of Factor. I love the variety of the meals that they have, and uh, you, know, you could pass it off, I think, as as something uh, that you prepared yourself, but um, you get the convenience of, of, of uh, two-minute preparation. It's great. And in addition to nutritious and flavorful ready-to-eat meals, they also have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, veggie sides, and more to choose from. Achieve and maintaining your goals this year with Factor. Get America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and start saving time Eat well and live your best year ever. Head to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use promo code happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code happyhour50 at factormeals.com slash happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. Thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show. All right, sports talk now. Yes. This is 
So, 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 uh, Major League Soccer season pass, Apple's um, exclusive MLS streaming service, uh, has gone. It, it's had its actual uh, launch, and they had some of the soft launch the week before with the um, the pre games, and mm-hmm. now it's the official season. Um, before we get into that, I, I do want to say, uh, Bally Sports. Remember when I talked about Bally Sports before? Mm, yes, they're they're in trouble, Super- right? <laughs> Yeah, the super subpar streaming service for regional sports. Yeah, I think this podcast might have put them out of business. I feel bad about that part, but um, apparently they owed like MLB a billion dollars and all sorts of other issues. And so they seem to be going away. So does um, Warner Media's RSN regional sports network issue packages, and um, seems like those are going to get bought not by Apple, but it, it does seem like it would have been a nice. Nice fit for Apple to have these random regional sport networks uh, on their service as these two big parties exit for financial reasons. Uh, the problem there is the deals do don't necessarily translate. Like they might only yeah. have rights to broadcast on TV or only broadcast in certain markets. Yeah. Like it's, or maybe they have deals where you know the the, the contracts are going to expire in 2 years and so they're kind of valueless sure, buying the yeah. companies and stuff like it's it's not as easy just buying out the failing businesses and just you know now we've suddenly got loads of content it's unfortunately doesn't quite work that way people people want to get yeah. paid at all levels of the chain but yeah in the way that MLB at bat became like the sturdy streaming platform that Disney bought entirely like out of MLB I don't think Bally will become that for anybody I think that was just a lesson in how bad streaming and, and an app experience can be. So yeah, I know we'll, that we'll like make... some of the leagues are saying that if we can't find somewhere to broadcast these games, then maybe we'll broadcast them ourselves for this season because of all the collapse in the regional sport networks and stuff. And maybe there's an opportunity for you know Apple to like suddenly get a load more MLB games for this season to show or something if they wanted to. Hmm. Um, because it's like you know the the leagues in a crisis mode where they don't have places to show the games. Uh, but there's been nothing rumored that they're actually pursuing that. Uh, I think generally Apple's I, I, looking for like longer term deals rather than just like opportunistic short term stuff. At least at yeah, the moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right, tell me about MLS season pass. So you've you've had the full view of the launch experience. Yep. Yeah, now disclaimers: I don't really like sports. Don't really watch football. <laughs> so um, I'm not like the the core core market for this product just like i wasn't the core core market for friday night baseball either but i checked out the first um you know a couple of games got the sense of this sense of what's going on and the general experience and i think i can offer some commentary at least on the the product offering so just like friday night baseball uh mls season pass games stream in super high bit rate uh 1080p quality so there was some um, news articles leading up to the launch. They're like, "Oh, it's not going to be in 4K. How can you not? How can you launch something in 2023 that's not in 4K?" Well, most live sports are not streaming in 4K. Um, if you actually look around, like even the huge like NFL leagues, you know, try and stream them in 4K on a regular basis, doesn't happen. Even if they advertise 4K, most of the time it's actually just like an upscaled 1080p stream or the um, the studio elements are filmed in 4k but the actual on-game stuff is all done with cameras that are lower resolution so there's a lot of smoke and mirrors there but the long and the short of it is the high bitrate streaming that apple does for its 1080p content looks fantastic um when they were doing Friday Night baseball last year i saw a lot of people refer to it as 4k even though it's not just because the bitrate was so high and that's carried through to ms season pass um 
which is, if people have forgotten, every single Major League Soccer um, regular season game and playoffs, and as well as some other um, smaller divisions as well, uh, streamed live and on demand in more than 100 countries. Uh, per and that's a deal that's set up for the next 10 years. All games are commentated in English and Spanish, and if you have a ca- if you have a Canada team playing, it's also broadcast in French. Um, and so let's break that down because that's like the big high level. Oh, oh, and the big thing obviously is no blackouts. They have full exclusive streaming rights to every single game. Some games might be broadcast on cable or national TV like Fox or ESPN, but those same games are also available through the season pass. So if you get the season pass, you watch every game one way or the other. Um, the the kind of headline of available live and on demand. So the live element is well is well um, served by the high bitrate streaming from Apple servers. It seems like the games are about. 15 seconds behind real time which is a factor that you don't think about until you remember like in you know if you're watching on if you're watching on cable tv like a classic sports game there would be zero delay or if you're in the if you're in the um if you're in the stadium there'd also be zero delay so what i immediately saw uh, when people were talking about these games is the clubs were used to the old system where it was always streaming with it was always broadcast with zero delay and so they would report the the goal events on their Twitter accounts and social media and all the fans would be like, that hasn't happened yet. And then it would happen like 20 seconds later because, you know, streaming of the internet has an inherent lag. And so that's something they're going to have to get used to. But other than the streaming delay uh, situation, though, you can't really complain about the quality of the stream. It was really high. It was really high quality. The broadcast production was also very, very strong. Um, you had, you know, like commentary you had people commentating in the at, from the site it was not just like commentating remotely they're actually on the site of the field which gives them like you know you get the ambiance the camera switching um i thought was very good they have many many cameras for every single match a lot of mls because mls is a small league in america up to now it hasn't really got the investment um that you would expect from you know top sports leagues but apple's um deal gives them the resources to do that so they get you know close-ups they get replays they get multiple camera angles um they get on-site coverage and commentary and before the games even start you get a pre-game show hosted at mls studios which are these new studios they built the the design of the studios looks very similar to like the apple park and um, visit not the visit the apple park developer center you know when they showed that off and gave that a little tour last year there's very much of yeah. those vibes just with mls logos around the place um, and so you get pre-game and post-game shows for every single match and you get a whip around show which happened which is like it done from the studio and they basically cut into all the games happening that day um with highlights and stuff so from the live experience it's hard to criticize it's not perfect they had some you know teething problems and it was only week one it takes a while for commentators to, you know, get chemistry. It takes a while for production teams not to accidentally leave mics on mute or cut away and stuff. But, like, generally, you couldn't complain about the live experience. I saw some people complain that the scoreboard was kind of bland and not very, like, pretty. Uh, it's it's definitely a brutalist look. Like, with Friday Night Baseball, they went for a very, like, iOS system UI kind of thing. Everything had rounding corners. Everything was in, like, set in San Francisco font. And it kind of just looks like um, notification banner pop-ups on the screen. With the MLS branding, it's a lot more like um, Bruce's Extreme. Like, there's no rounded corners anywhere. It's like just rectangles. And you have like, you know, font and rectangles. And there's no distractions. There's no like advertising on the screen or like weird adornments. Like the Friday Night Baseball one had like that odds percentage in the corner. There's none of that on the um, MLS stream. You, it's just in the corner of the screen, you have 
a little box that says the away team and the home team and it says the current score and people were criticizing it for not being like i don't know adventurous enough i think they wanted like the team logos to go in that box it's okay maybe they'll change it but i don't think it was like a big problem and they the the rest of the graphics package they had for the games was pretty good you know they had like a full screen transition and they had replays and stuff so i thought that stuff was pretty good the biggest issue that i hit oh and the other thing with live with live is you get the commentary from um the mls people the mls commentary team that uh, that are going to cover every single match english and spanish um, and then French when it were applicable. You also get the option for home team audio via the local radio broadcast. And what's clever about that is it's synced up to the stream. So you don't have the delay problem. If you click and listen to the radio through the UI, they delay it by the 15, 20 seconds that it matches up with the on-screen action, which is a really nice feature. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the 2023 season, that's only available for the home team's radio. Um commentary i think in future years they're going to set it up so you can do home or away team so you can get both sides but at least for this year it's only the home and i think that's only available in the u.s because you can't pick it if you're in like britain other countries uh, but still what a great little feature to have in there yeah that's a nice touch yeah the immediate problem that i saw because remember for me these games are mostly happening at like 12 o'clock at night so for the first game i tuned in live just to see what was going on got the feel of it not not the whole game. I, I tapped out about midnight. Um, but then I thought, okay, I'll just catch up in the morning to watch a replay. For a service that is like boasting, you get live and on demand of every single game. You would not believe how hard it is to find the replay of a game. <laughs> so it's it's kind of, it boggles the mind a bit. And I, I have to assume this is going to get fixed sooner or later. But the fact it launched on this is pretty pretty incredible so what you have to do is you go to the mls section of the tv app which takes some navigation from the beginning because of course the tv app doesn't have like the ability to set a shortcut or anything in the u.s they have like a dedicated mls tab um but internationally where the where you can buy a season pass they don't put the tab on there so you have to like manually go and go to that channel every single time which is a pain that's a general tv app problem but you know applies so much here anywhere else but anyway you get to the you get to the mls page then you have to scroll 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 to find the team um that just played the game you're interested in then you have to scroll um to find the actual the match the past match which is usually at the bottom so that's fine so then you go onto the past match screen right and what do you see you see a play button and it says watch replay so you think that's the replay right you click on it it shows you seven minute highlights highlights yeah yeah and it's nice that they've had someone go in and cut out the best bits of each game because some people do want just highlights right they just want to catch up and see the best bits and then move on they know the score there's the highlights that's that's fine but the service does stream the actual replays on demand it's just impossible to find on that page Mm -hmm. you have to scroll to the bottom to the how to watch section you then have to long press on the mls season pass tile which then brings up this like (laughs) versions menu and from there you can click the replay for the full game it's it's so hidden i i have a tweet that column for apple tv stuff i couldn't tell you how many tweets i saw people why doesn't season pass off a full game replays? Why can't I find the replays? Why is this thing? Why why is it not there? I'm so disappointed that I can only see highlights when obviously the full replays are there. It's just the UI is so bad uh, they can't be found. So that was a real negative for the launch. I saw some um, employees of the Apple TV sports department uh, favorite a lot of the criticism around that and like say thanks for the feedback and stuff. So. There's some indicators there that they are listening and they're working on it, but it was definitely a big miss. Um, 
for the launch. Uh, the MLS 360, which is the whip around show, right, which runs live and you can also watch later, that needs a bit more finessing. It felt a bit low um, budget, which I don't think is because it has a low budget. I just think they're new to doing it. So the production needs some work. Like the the whole point of the 360 show is that there's like a commentary team that sits in the studios and they, you know, say, oh, and, you know, a goal's happening here and they're going to cut away and show it or something's happening over here and we're going to show this, you know, foul or this big event in the match. But the way that it was like staged, you could like see the commentary team watching the TV screen of the games like in front of you, like the TV screens are like blocking the view of the people. Like it was, it was, it felt a bit hatched together. I think that is something that will get a lot better a lot sooner because... You know, the the problem with the replays is like a tech issue with like the Apple TV app, right? So that's going to take months of internal coordination with like the Apple software team and to get that fixed. Um, whereas this is something they can probably, you know, maybe by next weekend, uh, they'll have changed the setup a little bit in terms of how the studio goes. Because I believe the studio like um, offices weren't even, facility wasn't even like finished being built until like a fortnight ago. So it's, it you know, they're, they're running by the seat of their pants a little bit, but... For the launch show, the 360 thing needed some work. Um, then also a software glitch is the show sports scores situation. So by default, the TV app will show you scores um, on the thumbnails of all games and replays. And initially, I thought this was like the right default to have because it's like, oh, if you're coming up later, you can identify the game better by seeing, oh, this game was 2-1, this one was 3-0. You can, you can just pick out the score with your eye. But... Season Pass um, promotes watching, you know, games on replays. And because of the 360 Whip Around show, they've set the schedule. So a lot of games happen at the same time. So you're almost, if you support more than one team, you watch more than one team's games on a particular day, you're kind of forced to watch replays. And the show sports scores situation means that you're spoiled for the result of the game if you go and find it to watch it back. Now, there is a setting um, in the TV app on most platforms... Um, that lets you turn this off. So if you turn off show sports scores, the thumbnails for all the replays and stuff no longer show the score on them, i.e. you don't get spoiled so you can watch the game in peace. However, sure. <laughs> um, that doesn't apply to the website. So if you're watching through tv.apple.com, which, reminder, a lot of people will be because that's how you're meant to use it if you're on Android or Windows, right? Because um, there's still no promise of an Android app and the Windows app's still in beta. Um, so if you're on the website... There's no support for that. The the show sports scores option doesn't do anything. So you're always spoiled if you go through the website. And if you're in the native apps, including on like Apple TV and stuff, the show sports scores option applies to the thumbnails of the games, like how I just described finding the replays, but it doesn't apply to the featured carousel. So you know, like the thing they added, like, um, you know, like on the TV plus thing or like above up next, you have that featured scrolling thing. If you're on the MLS channel, you also have that big featured scrolling thing and it shows you like games coming up, Games just finished, you know, the promotional carousel. Those items show the scores of replays. So they need to fix the bug so that it doesn't apply to that carousel. And they also need to apply to the website and the places where it doesn't match. And maybe they should consider flipping the default round so show sports scores is off by default because a lot of people seem to want it off. Or maybe they just need, like, the first time you go to the season pass section, it asks you, do you want to see sports scores or not? Um, And that may be a way around it. And and that setting would apply to mls but it's also been around for the other sports yes uh, in the tv app that get pulled in from other apps that work with the tv app that you jump out to and so i imagine it's not granular you can't say turn it off for mls but keep it on for the others correct it's yeah or off. it's one or, yeah. one or nothing 
Um, mm. And again, this is kind of like, it, this is kind of the, you know, the benefits for the MLS of being in the Apple TV app, but that it's like it's a big platform, um, at least in theory, it's installed in loads of devices. They don't have to go out of their way to get like a whole separate app developed. But on the other side, you kind of feel the limits of being in the application that kind of aggregates all sorts of stuff, right? Like, it feels a little lowest common denominator e. It doesn't feel like yeah. the best experience it could ever be. Um, like I said before, navigating to that channel is kind of annoying, especially if you're doing it week on week on week. Um, and this is kind of stuff where I hope it puts more pressure on Apple just to make the TV app better and better and better because now they're putting yeah. more and more stuff inside it. It, it like even just TV Plus on its own feels a bit disadvantaged being inside this aggregate of all stuff when the aggregator mm-hmm. isn't very good and doesn't let you set like bookmarks or favorites. Um, but now MLS season passes there, they're probably gonna have other stuff soon. And like it's the classic thing if you're on the MLS channel, the toolbar has no secondary navigation, so the only option is to just do vertical scrolling. It's like the classic yeah. TV app thing, there's no way to like filter or jump, or you can set your favorite team. But then it doesn't mean like the favorite team is like shown at the top of the screen. It just means that new games appear in your app next queue by default. But like, I feel like you should be able to bookmark your team's page so you don't have to go and navigate to the team page every single time you open the app. Um, there's no just like the lack of favoriting and shortcuts and stuff like that is a real limit on making the service really appealing. And then the other thing is like the TV app isn't even the best way to watch a sports game compared to what was there before. So. Although you couldn't watch all games through it before, ESPN used to show MLS games last season, and their app on Apple TV has a way to watch four games at once. So you can do picture-in-picture with multiple games streaming at the same time. The Apple TV app doesn't have that capability. And so that's a downgrade, right? If you've gone from watching on ESPN to going to MLS Season Pass, which you pay for, right? And it's not the cheapest thing in the world. It's not cheap. Um, But you pay for this service, you're expecting premium experience, and then you have less features available to you. Even on the Apple devices, it's not like this is a thing that's available that's not just not available on like the Xbox or Windows. All right, on the Apple TV 4K itself, you can't do picture-in-picture streaming of MS games like you could do if you're watching on ESPN a year before. So, it was a pretty decent debut, I'd say. It was good, and I think um, the general like um, general audience were more accustomed and liking the MLS production and broadcast than the initial response I saw to the Friday Night Baseball games, where Apple tried to go a bit more like left field in how they presented the show. Um, (laughs) The MLS season pass was just a traditional football broadcast produced reasonably well with high bitrate video and audio. Um, But the TV app experience still leaves quite a lot to be desired. And I cross my fingers that it's going to get better, but we'll see. So I would say overall, not terrible, not the best it could have been, but... The thing that matters the most, I guess, is just like the quality of the game broadcast, and that was pretty, pretty good. If they can fix the replay issue, so like, like the replay thing feels like a bit of a crazy omission. Like, the, live and on demand, live okay. The on demand stuff is so hard to find; nobody will find it without like looking up a tutorial. Like that needs to be fixed relatively quickly. All it would need as a short term fix is where it says the watch replay button. It just gives you the choice of do you want to watch the highlights or the full game. So I don't think it's a big stretch and. It's probably the kind of thing they could roll out in like a 16.5 or something, maybe. Uh, I don't think we have to wait months and months and months to see it. Um, but it does feel like a bit of a miss that that wasn't there for the season past launch. Yeah. But putting 6.4, it's still in beta. Um, it's, there's, well, no they, in, got... there's no change in 6.4 at the moment, because I did check that, yeah. Yeah, and beta 3, they'll do it in beta 3. <laughs> well, they, they've, got, they've got 10 years to get this right. They so. do have 10 years, yeah. 
for the first for the first outing, I'd give it like seven out of ten. Nice. I I was gonna say everything you just said, but I'm glad you said it first. I don't have to. Uh, this is I think this is gonna be the most comprehensive deposit in the Apple capsule of history of of what MLS weekend was like at launch. Uh, thank you for your service. <laughs> Did you watch any of the games? Because I know you you got the um, freebie through to Main Bowl, right? No, yeah, yeah, I've got the freebie through to Main Bowl. I did not watch any of the yeah. games. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've got some catching up to do. I, I want to follow the XFL this year, and haven't yet. So I, I kind of want to catch up on that. And Go um, for it. so, yeah, MLS just isn't on the top of my list right now. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? Like they have to get a really nice experience, really high production, so that they can try and make the sport bigger. Um, because you're already yeah. putting yourself at a disadvantage by making it a paywalled thing, right? So after you get over that hump, you've got to make it like the best experience it can be to incentivize viewership. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, that is the Happy Hour Podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please follow or subscribe. In the Apple Podcast app, you can listen to ad-free episodes for $5 a month or $50 per year. We appreciate that direct support. We appreciate everyone who supports our sponsors as well. If you have any feedback for the show, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ApolloZach. A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. And Benjamin, you're on Twitter at... B-Z-A-M-A-O. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.